Welcome to our District 4 Spotlights here on News 104.5 WOKV. My name is Kevin Rafuse, and first up, we are joined in studio by the one and only Hans Tanzler. Mr. Tanzler, how are you this morning? I'm doing, <clears throat> doing great, Kevin, and thank you for having me. Yeah, Pleasure. we appreciate you coming in. We're going to be uh, spotlighting your campaign here. So obviously, you're running for Congress. This is the first time running for federal office. So I guess, what made this election cycle the one that you made you want to jump into this race? Yeah, it's the first time having run for uh, any office, and, and and this one was first Ander had to resign, but the but the moment was a decision point of saying that I am so deeply concerned that America is on the brink of um, changing the America we knew when we grew up. It's at a serious crossroad, and I think it's in deep trouble. And I think we're about to lose the America we grew up with and, and instead have a nanny state with a weak military and with uh, personal freedoms at risk. So let's talk about the military. You mentioned you worry about the military being weak. There are, there are a number of people worried about ISIS, for example. You know, what is your solution to make the military stronger, and how do we combat the terror threats that we see around the globe today? Yeah, military being stronger, you know, of course, starts with uh, funding, and it's at the 20% of GNP level, lowest since uh, World War II, pre-World War II, and the number of combat ships and, and equipment is also lowest since war, pre-World War II. And so obviously funding needs to be increased, but we also have a budget deficit, so there has to be dramatic cuts in budget with other agencies. And so the increase in military preparedness has the benefit of being the strongest nation on the earth tends to assure peace because then our troops know that they have the ability to carry out their mission and our allies know that they should respect us and our enemies should fear us. And so the combination of that strong military coupled with augmentation of CIA's uh, covert um, intelligence gathering activities overseas so we can more surgically strike with CIA given the authority and the equipment and the uh, resources to do so at the foreign location before they get here because once they get here we've kind of lost when we've lost because all we then do is pick up dead bodies and in, in most and that's civilians and uh, deputy sheriffs and also terribly uh, distressing. But we've got to get active. We've got to know we are at war. And, and I think a lot of people don't want to realize that there is a um, radical Islamic nation or radical Islamic groups of many different types that are dedicated to imposing their religion, their, uh, their sense of lack of freedom and, and their way of life uh, on us in denigration of our First Amendment rights of freedom and, and um, worship and um, the ability to be Americans as we knew when we were growing up. So we talk about a lot of these ISIS attacks, for example. Oftentimes we see these are coming from homegrown terrorists. How do we stop that here on the home front besides fighting in Syria and Iraq? Yeah, homegrown is really, really challenging because it, it puts stress on the um, uh, ability to gather intelligence as far as um, eavesdropping, knowing what conversations may be leading to terrorists, uh, being able to be intelligent about that. Uh, there, will, there will be tension with respect to people as far as invasion of privacy. But on the other hand, if we know they're here, then we've got to give our authority, more authority to our agencies, federal and state and local, to conduct um, uh, information gathering uh, operations so that they can tell us who they are, and which is extremely difficult because it's inside their minds. 
But on the other hand, there's evidence, circumstantial evidence of who they are, and, and the authority needs to be uh, given to those to find it, and, and then same time respecting um, the personal freedoms that we've enjoyed, but there's a balancing act because we are uh, under attack. And switching gears a little bit, but kind of staying on the military, I think we both know that it goes without saying Jacksonville, a huge military town. And one of the big issues that's been coming up in recent years has been the struggles with the VA and getting taking care of our veterans here once they return home from combat. How do we go about reforming the VA so that way we can guarantee that our servicemen and women have the best care possible? Yeah, uh, uh, the, the Veterans Administration is an abomination. I mean, it needs to be taken down to its knees. It needs to be um, basically dismantled. Those that have served us so well are not being served by the current VA. They've got uh, wait lists and wait lines that, have, that cause time to pass such that they may pass from uh, the veterans may actually um, die before they get treatment. They've got uh, suicide hotlines that lead to uh, voicemail. And so uh, veterans, one, one way is, is the freedom card that could have worked. Congress appropriated $10 billion for it to work, and but it did not work because the card was, the authorization was run through the bureaucracy of the VA. And so the bureaucracy of the VA simply has to be uh, taken apart. And the freedom card needs to be independent of that and using more private sector, pure um, uh, management of what otherwise is a complex need for the veterans to get immediate uh, health care when they need it. And sticking kind of with the homegrown theme here, we've been talking about a lot in recent months with police, uh, with police relations, specifically with the community and minority communities in general. A lot of distrust, it seems to be on both sides. How do we repair that image to make sure that our police are both safe, but that our communities are safe as well? Well, I mean, that, that you know, that obviously goes to a local issue and I'm running for a federal office, but I could have a local opinion. And it goes to the same type of uh, uh, interrelationships to build trust that, that our men in uniform are there to protect them and serve them and not to abuse and, and to get interaction that can lead to the appropriate uh, implementation of um, uh, uh, policing authority. Uh, I also knew from, by the way, I've been, I was in law enforcement for five years as a federal prosecutor, assistant U.S. attorney in Miami, prosecuting um, international uh, drug trade traffickers like Pablo Escobar agents and Mariel Boatlift, Scarface types, and, and as well as mass illegal immigration. And so I've got a feel, a very good feel, for federal prosecution, federal law enforcement. Local law enforcement, I think, is up to the sheriff's office to have that feel. And if they want my opinion, they, they can ask and I can deliberate with them. But federally, I wouldn't have the authority to dictate anything. How do you think that experience as a federal prosecutor can help you serve in Congress? Well, as a, as a citizen U.S. attorney, you're with the Department of Justice, and the Department of Justice represents um, in court the all federal agencies, Customs, DIA, Border Patrol, um, um, the ATF, IRS, and all of those different agencies have different personalities, and you get to know that, which is useful information for how to fix them. And the, for example, Department of Justice I work for, um, it was in the business of putting cr criminals in jail. I mean, the real criminals that kind of 
criminals that kill witnesses. And I told my wife, they don't kill prosecutors, so you don't worry about me because you can get another prosecutor. Mm-hmm. But, but the uh, Department of Justice today seems to be hijacked by the administration uh, to be used as a political instrument that isn't necessarily one for prosecution, but is instead one for persecution and for intrusion into our daily local lives in matters they have no business doing. And so um, having the appreciation of what the mission should be, having done it and having been a um, uh, prosecutor in such a way that, you know, having seen it work, FBI firing range, carried a gun, I mean, mean, it was a whole deal. And um, uh, I know how it's supposed to be done. And, And but if this is a federal job, by the way, it's not a local job. And so knowledge about the federal government is, is hugely important. Earlier, you mentioned our First Amendment rights. And now I want to talk about another amendment that's come up a lot in recent months. And over the past few years, it's the Second Amendment. There's been a lot of response on the left, for example, from gun control following the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. Where do you stand when it comes to gun control? And how do you feel we stop these type of mass shooting incidents all across the country? Interesting debate, but I, I am I am definitely hardcore Second Amendment, no um, compromise of, of it. Uh, if, any, if there was any compromise of any aspect of it, it becomes a slippery slope. And so the um, uh, ability to get permits in Florida, there are well over a million concealed weapon permits. Um, those permits obviously um, enable someone to pre- arm themselves and to be able to be prepared to defend themselves if they're in an environment where you have a bad guy shooting you one by one instead of sitting by waiting to be shot, you know, let's fire back. And, I mean, there's certain aspects of that that make sense to me that says, you know, do we arm the bad guys only or do we arm our citizenry so they can defend themselves? I've noticed that there have been less hijacking of of airlines, uh, probably because, I'm I'm speculating, that our citizens have proven that they will stop it. I mean, they they will take it over and, and, and otherwise abate the hijacking. And so terrorists know that's not a good idea. Instead, they go to places where they know there aren't any guns and then selectively just start executing. And then individuals just selectively get executed without taking action to defend themselves in a lethal way. And I think that that is increasingly important. And that Second Amendment rights are increasingly important and cannot be a fringe. And another hot button issue that's come up recently has been the topic of immigration. We saw President Obama's immigration plans have been put on hold by the Supreme Court. Uh, Calls for reform have come on both sides of the aisle, though. How do you make sure that we secure our borders and what do we do at a federal level to ensure that the U.S. has good immigration policy? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think the seal our borders, you know, whether metaphorically is build the wall, but there needs to be something tantamount to the wall, whether it's electronic wall or either kind of wall that is on both our southern border and northern borders. They're immigrating through Canada also. And so that needs to be done immediately. And I know we got the resources to do it. And so I would do my, I would insist on it being done. I mean, stop the illegal um, invasion, in effect, that occurs without us knowing who they are. And number one, seal the borders. Number two, those that immigrate legally with visa cards, visa, I mean visa, <laughs> with, with uh, authorization, from the Department of Immigration Services, uh, when those when that visa expires, they need to be deported. They need to be kept tracked of and, and say, and time's up, go home. And, and so enforcement of existing laws is huge. 
and any executive de- decision or, or suggestion by a president to not follow the law, you know, is pretty astounding to me. And then, then also, Syrian refugees uh, happen to fall on the side of, uh, I hate to say it, but you know, there should not be uh, a mass immigration of refugees that we don't know who they are. The, you know, whether it's one, two, ten, a hundred, or five hundred of them happen to be radical Islamics, then we have done ourselves a great disservice by allowing them to come in if their view is to, to kill us. So on a bit of a lighter note, uh, Forbes.com releasing a survey recently showing that Northeast Florida, really a region on the rise, Jacksonville, actually the second most or second city in the country that most people are moving to right now. We're really seeing business all across here, both in St. John's and in Nassau and in, in Duval, really booming across the board. How on a federal level will you continue to fight for the growth of Northeast Florida and what makes Northeast Florida so attractive? Well, it's, it's attractive. I mean, the whole state's attractive because it uh, does not have an income tax. We haven't had a hurricane in, in like 13 years. Uh, ev- there's no valorum tax on the first 50000 of a of a home. Uh, and so, you know, it doesn't snow. So there will be a net migration. Uh, I had the um, uh, privilege to be recruited to be the head of the St. John's River Water Management District uh, for three and a half years with, with the uh, mission of getting uh, 20% reduction in its budget implemented and in, in cutting its size and did so effectively. But the purpose of the district was to forecast immigration and assure water supplies may be there for that. And so the, uh, the state, those that need to be unquestionably at the state and local level, um, the state's um, Department of Commerce, uh, I mean, local Departments of Commerce, as well as um, the different um, um, local groups that recruit new business, you know, need to continually to do so. You know, Jerry Mallott does a great job, and people like him need to continue to do so. And if somebody like Jerry or, or anybody else, if I was there in Congress and he said, man, I need something that can help me do that, then I would do my best federally to assist him. But um, but otherwise, this is a, a state and local issue. So Donald Trump, the face of the Republican Party, and, and much like Mr. Trump, you yourself said earlier in the interview, you are a political outsider. You know, what do you think is Mr. Trump has been? What has his effect, I should say, been on the Republican Party? And how do you feel about him being the GOP nominee? Well, I, I support the Republican nominee. And um, uh, the effect of the Republican Party, you know, one can watch TV and see some evidence of that. Um, but I, I know that there needs to be a dramatic change in, in leadership. The current leadership is leading us towards socialism, toward, towards an entitlement-based society that we cannot afford, that we're going to run out of other, other people's money, as is sometimes said in socialism. And, and that other people, in our case, is your money, my money, and our children's money. And 19 trillion of debt, which is 180,000 per person or, or per child, and so the Trump, that's a CEO that can uh, have the have the backbone to hire the best and the brightest, and then get on the bully pulpit to to inspire Congress into action that would make the dramatic changes that need to be made to right-size government, to balance the budget, to get the federal agencies out of our local lives. Um, is just what the doctor ordered, and, and it's not the alternative. 
in the alternative, if um, uh, Hillary, then its effect on the Supreme Court, I just have to almost stop there. You know, Justice Scalia seat was a key seat, and then there may be two or three others. But if the Supreme Court goes hard left, then, then the Constitution may have words, but those words are interpreted through the lens of the Supreme Court, and they would say, they would say what the Bill of Rights says in their opinion. You know, whether it be the First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech and religion and assembly and Second Amendment, you know, the um, right to bear arms all the way um, down to the Fifth Amendment, which includes you can't confiscate your stuff, you know, without paying for it. And, and so the alternative is just totally unacceptable. The the Trump candidate is, is a person that uh, I would applaud if he will do just as I said, which is to help me make changes. And, and, and the leadership needs to come from the top. The authority needs to come from the top. The authority, when I, when I helped make changes at the Water Management District, came from the top. It came from Governor Scott. And I had a nine-member board all appointed by the governor. And, um, and through that came the authority to make serious changes. And, and so if you have that total alignment of uh, authority, then we can break some furniture and eliminate some agencies and cut budgets whether they like it or not because government can be shrunk. Uh, they will say it can, and but I've done enough of it uh, in the private sector through corporate turnarounds to know that companies can run with less because they just simply have to. And often when with less, like the St. John's Water Management District, it can be just as effective, just as productive, and more efficient, and sometimes even more productive and efficient because there's not people having duplicated responsibilities and overlapping uh, authorities, so there's confusion. Eliminate that. So all that's a long way of saying that you know Trump may be just right to get major things done, which is the reason I'm running for Congress is to get major things done. I'm not running for an elected office just to be elected. I'm not um, looking for a public office for some ego thing. I'm looking to get up there to make changes, do my job, and come home. And I need somebody like Trump uh, to help me do that. That's, of course, one thing we have to mention with you. Your father was the mayor of Jacksonville during consolidation. By all accounts, one of the most popular mayors in city history. You know, what type of impact has your father had throughout your now political career? And what kind of inspiration did he provide? Well, uh, yeah, he, he'd be 89 if he was still with us. He passed at 86. Um, but he, he was kind of a John Wayne kind of guy. And... and um, uh, he was a statesman, and, and everything about him was statesmanship. Um, he ran and was. Uh, he was a sitting judge and um, was uh, uh, helping to clean up old government as well as create new government and consolidation. But his, his DNA and, and the cloth from which he was um, cut and, and made is the same as mine, which is premised on honesty, integrity, and, and doing what's right and, and having a compass and sticking to it notwithstanding combative winds that want to push you one way or another. So having the integrity and um, strength to keep the course, to do things that others may think, um, you know, won't you do this or that, honesty and integrity and um, the backbone to stand up to do it. Uh, he, he also, um, um, you know, said that don't even think, counseled me, you know, don't think about running unless you're really willing to be that person. And so we'll end it with a simple question. Why are you the best candidate suited out of everyone to represent District 4 in Congress? Yeah, I, I think unquestionably, um, <laughs> this is unmodest, but I think I'm unquestionably the most qualified for this federal position. 
I mean, both because of the federal prosecutor experience, but I'm also a attorney CPA. Um, I've been a corporate turnaround executive for over a decade, over a decade or more, and doing that is when you try to save or enhance troubled companies, and, and you understand both sides of the balance sheet, and you also try to save jobs and 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 save companies. And then the experience with the Water Management District of actually running a state agency and with the purpose of getting it running efficiently with a 25% budget cut, um, you know, is what the doctor ordered for D.C. And so it's just a question of doing that there. And um, and I also happen to be a part-time farmer rancher with my wife. And, and the, yes, that was me on the horse. That was my, <laughs> and that was my hat, my gun, and, and my horse, and my farm. And um, and I'm pleased that the American Cattlemen's Association is supporting us. Um, but the the federal fact that this is a federal job, this is not a local job, you know, is the main thing. And you got to have ability. You have people with the skill sets that can operate in that environment. And, and then also be able to uh, work with your colleagues and others to prioritize what are the regional priorities and national priorities that you go after. And again, this has been our District 4 Spotlight as we warm up for the Florida primary here coming up on August 30th. My name is Kevin Rafius. Mr. Tanzler, thank you. We appreciate you joining us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to maybe being here again soon.